Thanks for doing this. You, I was at the uh, O2X summit that you talked at back in uh, December. And I remember you were just a super, I mean, you were super engaging and you had a ton of really great information. And for a discussion on sleep, you made it incredibly lively. So <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> appreciate that. Um, but I mean, I don't even mean to start with like, death and destruction. I was sitting here looking at some of the O2X stuff and some <laughs> CDC stuff and NIOSH things. And, um, I, I saw one graph where if you normally get nine hours of sleep, but over time you get decreased to maybe six hours of sleep, like just because of wakefulness or sleep mm -hmm. schedule in the fire service, you have a 52% more increase or more likelihood of getting injured over a two year period. Like every hour, it seems like looking at this one chart, every hour less of sleep you get, it's like a 12 to 27% increase in likelihood of injury. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, I don't think people realize the extent to which sleepiness in general predicts accidents because we tend to think that we're really in control, especially where that we're in control of our actions and that we're in control of our attention and that we can kind of fight sleep and I don't think anyone's ever had an accident, anyone's ever had a car accident and thought, oh, this is the time I fall asleep. Everybody thinks that they can fight it, everybody thinks that they're in control. And the, I think the funny thing is that one of the first things that goes when we lose sleep is our attention, right? our ability to pay attention. It's extremely cognitively costly. Our brain doesn't want to do it and it wants to give it up at any, <laughs> at any chance it gets. Yeah, right. So once we start losing sleep, our ability to focus and sort of the attentional lapses increase. That's what really causes a lot of these accidents. We're just not paying attention. And I think the scariest thing is that we're not paying attention, but we don't realize that we're having these attentional lapses. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, pulling just straight from the manual, sleep deprivation, there's decreased cognitive, cog, cognitive functioning, which you already mentioned. Um, yeah. Let's see, we have slower reaction times, deficits in communication, coordination, endurance, strength, uh, leads to mood swings, emotional instability, increased likelihood of accident-related injuries, and we know in the fire service that the number one cause of death is firefighter cardiovascular disease and followed by motor vehicle accidents. And then sleep disorders doubles the risk for both. It plays in the anxiety disorders, depression, PTSD, and the one alarming statistic with all the cancer stuff going on just with sleep deprivation and uh, disruption. Uh, the fire service is labeled as a group two, a probable carcinogen just on the sleep front, like nothing else. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah, I think yeah, you're yeah, you're right, and I think firefighters, and that's why we we super appreciate the work that you do. Some people don't appreciate all of the. Sometimes we talk about things being value added, and it's almost value subtracted. All the extra risk that you guys are putting yourselves through, but obviously we we need people who are willing to do that. But we want to keep that lifestyle as healthy as possible. And there's different environmental modulators and manipulations we can do to make it a little bit more healthy. Yeah, sure, sure. So I've actually gotten a little ahead of myself. Um, I want to back up and I mean, you are a doctor of neuroscience and psychology, right? Like, can we talk about your street cred and background really quick? And then we'll get into like the research that you do and how you can best help the the fire service and those in public safety in general. Sure. So I'm, I'm Jamie Tartar. I'm a professor of neuroscience um, down here in sunny South Florida, awesome. Nova Southeastern University. 
Uh, and I also run a nonprofit organization, Society for Neurosports. We've actually just changed our name to Society for Sports Neuroscience. So we really do a lot of work okay. with sort of brain, body health, and sort of how the brain improves performance and how exercise improves brain health. Fantastic. That's amazing. I mean, that's total, that's a total niche for what we need and uh, can definitely benefit from. That's, that's awesome. No, I didn't realize there's a nonprofit arm involved. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, and we have conferences every year and you can come down and be my guest. Fantastic. I love it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just getting into research, like what what is it that you're finding? I mean, we've already hit on like all the negative things. Can you just start going into what you have found as far as best practices to help those in public safety that suffer from the sleep disruption, the sleep deprivation, what are the, what is the research saying and how do we best harden ourselves to protect us? Well, I think as a, as a firefighter, we almost need to kind of split that between because the, um, the way you sleep when you're at home is probably not the way you sleep when you're in the firehouse. Right? Sure. Correct? That seems to be a general um, sort of general rule of thumb. And we at home, you can at least control your environment a lot. If you have a partner, you may need to negotiate with them a little bit, but this isn't about that. One of the things that we definitely want to think about is this idea that, first and foremost, what's the mindset behind sleep? A lot of people brag about not sleeping, and they think that that's a cool thing. It's like, oh, I don't sleep because I'm really important. I don't sleep because I'm super tough, yeah. which is sort of silly because we know that only good things are happening to your body and brain when you sleep, right? You know, we just you know, talked about the cognitive processing, brain cleaning, right? Metabolic function. You would you would never brag about other things. Like we don't brag about being in terrible shape because we have no time to go to the gym. <laughs> so we definitely want to be careful about thinking that sleep is lazy or sleep is a waste of time because only good things are happening when you sleep, right? Only good things are happening to your body and brain when you sleep. So the more you can create an environment that makes you want to sleep, that makes sleep fun, <laughs> the better it can be for you. Spend a third of your life, you know, we should be spending a third of our life in bed. Do we have a 20-year-old mattress? <laughs> or are we actually investing a little bit in things that go, you know, things that go beneath us should always be good, right? That you can you can think of that however you want. <laughs> but you know, like good tires on your car, good shoes on your feet, and a good mattress, a good quality mattress underneath of you. And so this idea, if we imagine that Sleep is something that we only do once a day. We can only use our bed for sleep. We want to almost think about how to create this perfect sleep oasis. Um, do we want a bed that's comfortable? Do we want blankets that are comfortable? And that's part of it. But we also want to make sure that we are creating an environment that matches our biology. And so what our biology wants is it wants bright light as first, you know, as close to waking as possible. Mm -hmm. And it wants no light at night. Right? And so this is what our brain is seeking because the part of our brain that controls our hormone release or it really sort of controls all the rhythms in our body, you know, he, that, that very important part of our brain is really controlled by light. And so there's little things we can do in our environment. So we can, we can have no lights at night or we can just wear a sleep mask. It's super easy. <laughs> <laughs> and in the firehouse, you can control your local environment, right? If there's a lot of, ambient light around you, you know, you can wear a pretty princess sleep mask if that's what you like, <laughs> right? Or a weighted sleep mask, all kinds of sleep masks. And if you can't get, and we always talk about this idea that it, it doesn't matter if it's sunlight or if it's fake sunlight, because the cells in your eyes that detect sunlight can easily be tricked, 
right? And so if you can't get light first thing in the morning, that's perfectly fine. Just go get a light that kind of mimics sunlight and, and your eyes will be tricked. So I have, I can, I can show you, I have one of these in my office. I'm going to come up the camera around here. Yeah. So this is, uh, so this is my little light. I don't know if you can see it. I'll turn it on. Wait, hold on. I lied. I think I unplugged it. Now that's really anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> we have them everywhere. So here's another one. If you can see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is just sort of, this is the one that's up a little bit higher. So I have these little fun mimicking lamps in my office. So that when I come in, I've got one above me and I've got one to the side of me. And they just shine sunlight at me. Or what my brain thinks is sunlight. Yeah, and the purpose behind that is to, uh, for lack of better words, trick your body into its like that natural circadian rhythm, right? We, we're trying to get on the most uh, routine schedule that we can. And that's part of the intent behind that. Because a lot of times where we are waking up, before the sun comes up to get into work. So we're trying to get on that pattern that's going to, you know, get us into that routine, right? Yeah, it's a ba basic idea that for hundreds of thousands of years, your brain has relied on the sun to start the morning circadian, just, you know, to let it know it's the morning as part of your circadian rhythm. And it's relied on the sun setting for melatonin release and for all kinds of other hormone processes in your body. Because every hormone has, it's released all the time, like cortisol is constantly released but cortisol, like every other hormone, is on a circadian rhythm. So it should be high first thing in the morning, and then it kind of tapers off, reaching its nadir level in the early afternoon. And it's really all of these circadian rhythms in your body are, are entrained, they're most sensitive to being controlled by the sun, by sunlight. And so that's really hard to do when we live, when we live inside, inside buildings. But it turns out it's okay because they are they're very easily tricked. And so really for any of us, all that means is just going on Amazon and, and Googling, you know, circadian light. Sometimes they're called SAD lights. Um, okay. and, and this is really all we need is even my son, you know, he, he's, a, he's a very poor sleeper. <laughs> so, so for him, you know, I, I try to control his environment. So I have blackout shades for him. So there's no light coming in at night. But then I bought him a sunrise alarm. So his alarm clock emulates kind of the sun rising. So it starts really dim and it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. So it's like yeah. whole sun in his room yeah. by 7 a.m. Yeah, no, my wife has the same thing and it's it's awesome. If I forget to turn it off, like it messes with me a little bit when I'm like trying to sleep in, but it's no, it's a fantastic light. It's it's really neat. I don't say technology because it's so simple, right? It's so, and, and I mean, but that's it. As I think sometimes it's, it's sexier to talk about like whatever supplement we're taking and some yeah. new gadget. But it's really the one of the most powerful and simple things you can do for your biology is control light, like control your sunlight. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've just hit a bunch about uh, excuse me on a bunch of environmental factors. So you know, obviously, a good mattress, eye masks, blackout shades, the circadian lights, um, tricking or having the lights essentially trick you into wakefulness. Now, on the back end of that, is that where some of that research comes into play about like the blue light and having lights on late at night and the screen time affecting sleep what is the can you clear that up for us because one there's i feel like there's two arms for this in the fire service one is we're in buildings late at night we're running calls we're looking at the computers running down the street and we're doing documentation for the medical reports and all the lights and the screaming bells and whistles lights have to wake us up for our calls and then there's the other side of it of people just vegging out on the couch at 3 a.m. scrolling through social media or spending time on their phones. So mm -hmm. what is that doing to us? And 
conversely, how do we trick ourselves to get back to sleep after that when we have all that late exposure at 3 a.m.? Right. So that, that, that's, it's hard. There's a lot of things happening, but you're, you're absolutely right that the light coming from your phone, even with blue light blocking, if you have the blue light blocking ability on your phone, you should definitely turn that on at night. But when light, even, you know, even light that doesn't seem very bright, when it hits your retina, when it hits your eyes, it, it does, um, the, the biggest consequence to that is melatonin suppression. So we need melatonin to be released when it's, when it's our nighttime. And melatonin is really important. It's, it's an anti-cancer molecule. It's an anti-inflammatory molecule, antioxidant. So it's doing a lot of things in our body. And when we suppress melatonin at night, we can get into all kinds of health consequences. So we want to be careful about that. And so in order for melatonin levels to rise at night, we need to be in the dark. And so we said, you know, one of the easiest ways you can do that is just cover your eyes or you can um, dim the lights. But sometimes when you're in a firehouse, like you said, um, and you're around a bunch of people, that's like, that's super hard to do. But you can, they sell, so we have some of these here, just happen to have these around. But we have these little glasses that we use in our lab. Um, and we, we block blue light. You can buy blue light blocking glasses. So you can see these little, and when we did the study, we actually put little side devices on so the light wasn't getting in the side either. Yeah, a ton of style points for those. Yeah, look like super, super sexy. <laughs> we had participants wear these at night, um, and we were able to, despite the fact that there was light on, we were able to avoid that melatonin suppression at night just oh, with some simple glasses. So you can do, you can wear those sort of blue light blocking lenses. We really went kind of extreme with blocking the sides because we were scientists and we like to be extreme. <laughs> those, those blue light blocking glasses will, will help as well. And is there a then, I'm sorry to interrupt. Is there a difference between blue light blocking and anti-glare? Because I, I feel like I've heard when like I got some readers or whatever, they were anti-glare, but the true blue light almost have that yellowish tint to them. They're generally a little thicker, I feel like. So there is a difference, correct? Yeah, and these have a, I don't know if you can't see it on the camera, but they definitely have a yellow tint. Yeah. Um, I would, if you're going for blue light blocking glasses, I would be sure that they're sold as, blue light blocking True, glasses light. And, and I wouldn't wear them during the day because we don't want we, don't, we want the opposite during the day we want to be, we want to get that blue light into our eyes especially in the morning yeah yeah absolutely um with some of the mindset stuff oh actually let me back up you you mentioned that melatonin being anti-inflammatory antioxidant it's an antioxidant and it's anti-cancer like mm -hmm. fighting that's I didn't even realize that part that's pretty amazing um, I don't mean to jump ahead with the, some of the supplementation stuff, but I know a lot of people are very quick to go to melatonin. Um, yeah. And I want you, if you could split this out in two different categories. One, what is the benefit? When should we use not just melatonin, but any supplements? And what are those supplements? Um, not looking for the quick fix because we can kind of go back and talk about some of the habits we need to uh, establish to actually get that sleep. But then what are some other alternatives? Because I know I've talked to a lot of firefighters and this is myself included. If I were to take melatonin, it destroys, I don't say it destroys my sleep. Um, the common things I see with melatonin are, and for myself personally, is uh, you sleep super hard for maybe an hour or two. You dream like crazy. You wake up in a pool of sweat and then you can't get back to sleep the rest of the night. So you're up from like 2 a.m. till 7 a.m. And I've heard this from a yeah. lot of uh, firefighters that have messed around with melatonin because they heard it helps with sleep. So they're like, I can't take that. So I just threw a lot at you. 
Um, let's first discuss melatonin. If you could split those two out and then just supplements in general. Sure. Yeah. But that, you know, that this first hour, that's an experience people would pay good money for, right? <laughs> <laughs> True. That's fair. <laughs> My college days. <laughs> Yeah, so melatonin, it's really a fun, it's one. It's a really fun molecule because it's pretty ancient. You know, melatonin's been on Earth for like 3 billion years. So it's, yeah. it's, it's been around. <laughs> it's been around the block. He's not going anywhere. So I think with melatonin, it's like anything. If you if you said, oh, go work out, but here's this pill. I'm like, all right, give me the pill. <laughs> it just seems really, it's like the low-hanging fruit of sleep. And, you know, melatonin has its place. I think the, the problem we get into with melatonin is that people take too much um a biologically relevant dose is like around two milligrams of melatonin and people (laughs) because if two is good ten is better (laughs) wildly high doses of melatonin they're like whoa i just went into an alternate reality for for like four hours when i was asleep (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's one of the major things it does it really messes with your dreams and the, problem, the other problem is it's still in your body in the morning. So then you're like, oh, my God, I feel so lethargic the next day. Well, you got 20 milligrams of melatonin that you took the night before. Sure. <laughs> so, and, and you don't need to take it. So when you, if you, as long as you don't have lights on at night, your melatonin is doing, it, <laughs> is doing what it should do. We, your body, your, you know, sort of in the business too of like moving hormones a lot of a lot of work in my lab we try to move hormones one way or the other and 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 surprisingly hard to do you know i'm always trying to get cortisol levels to go up in people but there's a lot of homeostatic regulation these hormones don't want to move <laughs> they they know where they're supposed to be right and they know and they they know the levels they're supposed to be at and there's so much great negative feedback regulation so in general your body knows what to do just let it do its thing and, you know, with supplements in general, I, I sort of take the, I take the stance that kind of, if you eat it, you don't need it, right? <laughs> so I take a multivitamin just in case. <laughs> and and, and with, with melatonin, as long as you're, as long as you lights off at night, you, you should be fine. The one, the one time melatonin can come in handy is if you, if you don't have control over your environment, like the lights are on, there's nothing I can do, I don't want to fight my kids. <laughs> uh, or, or older adults, you know, as we get older, Nothing good happens. <laughs> <laughs> Steady decline. Actually, I had a student in my class that she started her presentation with, you know, as you get older, you just sort of disintegrate. <laughs> I think that personal. <laughs> so as we disintegrate, as my student would say, our melatonin levels tend to look so that, you know, older adults uh, can see some benefit. If you're having trouble where if you find yourself staying up too late, you're kind of shifting your circadian rhythm, mm-hmm. taking a melatonin earlier in the night for a week or so can help you bring yourself back. Um, where melatonin really shines is when you travel, when you're traveling like west, west to east and it's like 10 p.m. and you want to party because it's 4 p.m. <laughs> that's, that's a great um, a great time for melatonin. But in general, like every hormone in your body, they're not you know, despite what you see on a lot of a lot of podcasts that I'm sure you've seen, they're they're not they're they're not these mysterious things that you have to rein you know rein rein them in. They're yeah. they're mostly well functioning, and it, you know it's again not super sexy, but your hormones are for the most part doing what they need to do as long as you don't change the conditions under which you know they've evolved. And melatonin is most easily suppressed 
simply by turning the lights on and it's going to do what it needs to do if you're in dim light at night. So it's, it's, it's pretty easy to, to regulate melatonin. Gotcha. And just like you said, the body's trying to find this homeostasis. So I feel like the more, uh, I don't know, pharmaceuticals or the, well, melatonin or whatever vitamin or mineral we're throwing on top of it meant to, I guess, you know, introduce some change. We might just be combating the body's natural ability to do what it was always designed to do. And we're not optimizing. We're kind of having maybe the negative effect or the body's just, like you said, is just going to try to find that homeostasis anyway. So it's kind of a moot point. Yeah. It's like, as long as you're young and you're healthy and you're, you don't have lights on at night, taking additional melatonin isn't, isn't helping you anymore because your body is already releasing it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not hurt. Melatonin. It's, it's, it's a little different than other hormone systems in your body because most other hormone systems, there's a very clear pathway. It's usually from the hypothalamus, the pituitary, to like whatever gland it interacts with. And then that's where that negative feedback regulation comes in. Okay. Melatonin's a little different because its cue is light or no light. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's negative feedback is really just light. So it's pretty easy to regulate. Yeah, just turn off the lights. Just turn off the lights. Doctor's orders. Just turn them off. Um, <laughs> two other common ones that I'm hearing now um, are magnesium, and I believe the other one is like theanine. And there are other mm -hmm. things out there. Could you? I mean, those things are gaining traction. What mm -hmm. are the? What's the? What are the pros and cons there? Educate us on that. Well, I think like it's not. Magnesium can come in handy, especially if you have like if you're cramping at night or you're you're somebody who works out a lot. Yeah. Um, that's where adding that magnesium could help. Theanine, there is some some definitely some helpful research um, that it can help with a lot of processes and potentially sleep with with supplements. When it comes to sleep, it's it's pretty tricky because right now we we just don't really have any good sleeping pills on the market yeah. that really mimic sort of nat natural sleep. So I think it like really, if you can invent a really good sleeping pill that gives you great quality sleep, you'd be a billionaire. And the only other thing like that would be if you could create something that causes people to not eat. <laughs> without <laughs> right. Like those are the two money makers. Right sure. <laughs> but you really, the two ways, so there's melatonin, which again, it's, it's not, it's sort of indirect, right? More, more work towards regulating your circadian rhythm than putting you to sleep. But we have two other ways of putting you down. <laughs> One is by increasing a chemical called GABA. So as we increase GABA, we shut down our brains, right? So the GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. And when the cells in your brain fire, we, we think, think of these, these two workhorses of the central nervous system. Like all these neurotransmitters, but then there's glutamate and GABA. So glutamate helps you fire action potentials and GABA stops cell firing or slows down cell firing and so GABA increases naturally when we go to bed at night we can give you something that increases GABA but it doesn't seem to put you to sleep the same way natural GABA increases do and everything that we take pretty much everything that we take to put ourselves down that's <laughs> that's how it's working right so anti-anxiety drugs work because they increase GABA, right? Um, alcohol calms us down because it increases GABA. Yeah. So sleeping pills increase GABA. So they may do other things too, but every single one of these things that shuts down brains 
does it by increasing GABA, right? By slowing down the neurotrans uh, neuron firing rate. Yes, yeah, so that make sense. Uh, absolutely, there are a lot of things going on, and maybe the intended uh, side effect, or just a whole host of what the pharmaceutical or whatever drug it is that you're ingesting is designed to do. It's going to have downstream effects for other things going on. So, may, are you saying it yeah, be the best option? No, not necessarily, because because sleeping pills have their place. Yeah, it's just they're not really meant to be maintenance medication, so they're not really okay. intended to be medication that you take throughout your lifetime, but certainly in a crisis situation or something acute is happening or you're, you're injured there, some sleep is better than no sleep. <laughs> and if you're in one of these sort of crisis situations, you know, taking a sleeping pill, you're working with your doctor to try to get some sleep because, because accidents happen when people don't sleep. Sure. And it's that balance between, you know, wanting to make sure that we're helping people get some sleep while they're going through the injury or while they're doing whatever they do because we want people to have daytime safety in this as well and not be sleepy during the day um the, the other side of that is so we can do we can i can increase gaba in your brain and you'll go down <laughs> <laughs> but then the other thing we can do to help people sleep is just decrease their anxiety which seems to so we like a lot of herbal supplements work to so calm down your nervous system yeah okay well, uh, a lot of yeah you're kind of hitting on that like just your, yeah. just your mindset um it, it, yeah go ahead like speak on that like what what are some of the natural like we'll say remedies for lack of better words and then just um as far as like daily living practices what is it that's going to help yeah down regulate decompress yeah i think decompress is a, is a great word for it because most like thirty percent of people have insomnia, and 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 like most cases of insomnia, are really rumination. It's anxiety, and oh, which is horrible. Which well, because if you look at hunter gatherer populations, they don't have a word for insomnia. <laughs> this is a problem of modern life. So it's great that we live in the modern world because I get to like I get to have a cheeseburger later tonight. It's amazing. I can just go get an ice cream cone. So lots of wonderful benefits living in the modern world. But there's a lot of what are sometimes called evolutionary mismatches. And sleep is probably the, the biggest one right now. And so we just really want to get ourselves back to those again, those signals that your brain is looking for. And sometimes for us, like the way we live our lives, like where you live your life, I live your life. We'll probably go we'll both lay in bed tonight and it might be the first time <laughs> that we've been alone with our own thoughts yeah you know we go 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 all day and then tonight i'll you know, respond to emails you know talk to my husband try to get some scheduling done and then i lay in bed and like oh my god why can't i sleep <laughs> <laughs> and then we start worrying and so that seems terrible and it is <laughs> except except anxiety Anxiety is is probably the most treatable thing. So anxiety, I like a lot of people don't realize, is ridiculously treatable. Yeah. And and sort of downstream to that, insomnia is extremely treatable. Mm -hmm. So these things are treatable. The the best treatment for them is something called cognitive behavioral therapy. And with sleep, it's called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Okay. And it's just getting in there, working with an expert on retraining your brain. Your, Sleeping is a core human process. <laughs> Your brain knows how to sleep. It just needs to get, it needs to remember <laughs> how to get rid of some of these. You know, it's a lot of thought processes that, that so 
sleep keep us awake at night. I mean, at night, I, you know, I'm thinking about all kinds of terrible things. <laughs> and I'm a sleep researcher. <laughs> <laughs> so that, you know, the, the more we can do to, like we do with our kids, is sort of transition from wakefulness to sleep. Like, do we have that wind down routine? You know, are we going from just chaos and then wondering why we're in bed until 3 a.m. not sleeping? Or are we trying to wind ourselves down like through like yoga ninja or through listening to an audiobook or just something to kind of naturally decrease epinephrine, increase GABA? Your brain has these chemicals. You don't have to buy them. <laughs> it's really just about calming down your nervous system. And, and a lot of it just getting control of those runaway thoughts, that rumination. Yeah. I know for me, I used to get so frustrated when I couldn't sleep or when I couldn't nap. Like I'm not necessarily somebody who's a good napper. And it used to frustrate me that I could not get to sleep or I could not nap. And I know just the simple act of removing the frustration and not allowing it to kind of take a chokehold over me and then have it, have, let it have a negative effect throughout the day. Just that little change was a big change. And I've read that in a couple of different texts that if you go into sleep worrying about the sleep, you're already behind the eight ball. Like, just like you said, we need to remove the anxiety from it. And you mentioned yoga nidra, um, like phenomenal, right? It's like, a, it's part yoga, part meditation, part down regulating. Uh, could you explain to everybody like what that practice is and what it's trying to uh, accomplish? Yeah, and I, I'm not an expert at all. I'm just a person who's experienced it yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you. And, and I think it's, for me, there's, there's yoga is an amazing way of doing that to me because you're, you, you, like we said earlier, your brain can only pay attention to so much. And the good thing about one of the major things about yoga is that not only is it helping you relax, especially in your yoga but it, it, they're talking to you. And it's really difficult for you to worry about your own problems and then have that somebody actively talking to you <laughs> to tell you to relax. Um, so they really can kind of get you into this sort of very relaxed brain state. Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's lots of pathways there. There's progressive muscle relaxation, which sometimes you don't, we don't even realize, especially sort of that shoulder girdle, how much tension yeah. we're holding that practice of just, you know, tensing and releasing, um, practicing gratitude. There's just so many ways of calming ourselves down at night and just giving, it's just being, it's being a little gentle. <laughs> we don't have to be hardcore about it. Like, oh. Oh, this is right. so hard. <laughs> we can, we can gently, like you warm up before you exercise, right? You don't just yeah. jump, more people, right? You don't just jump into like a five mile run, but we try to jump into eight hours of sleep. So you need like a sleep warm up. You need that, that calming routine before you go to bed. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic analogy. Um, I, one of the other things that I, I'll say I specialize in or like something that I really enjoy teaching is uh, just mobility and uh, like injury prevention rehab. And there have been certain classes I put on, like, let's say I just focus on hips or shoulders and neck. And that's a common thing. People will come back the, the next day or a week later and be like, I haven't slept that well, just from a pure standpoint of one, like decompressing and down regulating, like slowing down, checking in with my body, but then also just reducing the literal tension in the body. Yeah. And then they're easy. It's easier to slip into that sleep. And there's so many cool resources for yoga nidra, like on Spotify and YouTube. There's so many free things. Like if you don't want to go through that practice yourself of learning, like you can just literally look it up and press play now. 
Yeah, so no, my daughter was having some trouble sleeping, so I loaded it up and I'm like, do this, go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> See, it's that simple now. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't need a parent. There's YouTube. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so something about napping, because I know in the culture of the fire service that I came up in, I, I think I, I call it my nap anxiety. I think that's par- partly where it came from. Part of it was also the way I grew up you know, just constantly on the grind and working when I was younger. But if you, if you had a battalion chief walk in and they caught you napping major taboo, like 20 years ago when I came in nowadays, I would say it's somewhat encouraged. So for those that you know, we call it the safety nap now. So if we want to get in the safety nap while we're actually at work, you know, we've accomplished all of our tasks, you know, we've done the training, maybe we've worked out, we have a little bit of time, especially if you're at one of those busy firehouses when you're going to have three, four, five, six calls after midnight. Um, w- explain the research on that. Cause I've heard like the 30 minute, 60 minute, 90 minute, like you've got the power nap, you've got one that's a little bit more restorative, but it's harder to come out of. You're a little bit more groggy. Can you split that out for us? And like, what is a best practice for a nap? Cause it doesn't seem like it's the three hour get under the sheets and completely check out is there like a middle ground that we're looking for here yeah and and you know napping like a lot of things is, is highly individualistic so you know what works for one person may not work for another and so just like you train for anything you sort of want to know sort of figure out like where's my optimal nap <laughs> period because everybody's you know everyone's a little bit different everyone's idiosyncratic yeah so with with napping I, and i'm glad to hear that the that tie-in chiefs are maybe moving towards that because we again with this recognition what's happening when you sleep only good things, right? You're only, you're literally cleaning your brain, right? Your attention's going to, no, I don't want to work with somebody who has some stuff. They're dangerous. <laughs> yeah, literally. So you want to, so we want to think about, yeah, I think like power naps, tactical naps, safety naps. We want to just sort of change how we think about naps, right? Napping, spending 30 minutes napping should be seen it's the same way that we see 30 minutes of, of working out, right? you know, even better in the sense that you're really recharging your body and brain with with sleep. I mean, humans spend a third of their life asleep. Like, we, if we didn't, <laughs> we, if we wouldn't, we wouldn't do it if we didn't need it, right? Like, it's not, it's not negotiable. It's not an option. Yeah. So when you can't get eight hours of sleep, which obviously you can't, napping is a great way to sort of get, restore some of that function. And we know that even like a 20 minute nap is enough to get back some of those cognitive functions that are lost especially when we recognize the person who's making bad decisions, the sleep boss, doesn't know. It's like being drunk. Like, you don't know yeah. <laughs> that you're in there right, until I text you. And I think you're right that there are some time, not, you know, optimal times. So if you're in the firehouse, you, you know, you don't have tons of time. That's where you may want to think about a nap that's no longer than 30 minutes, right? Okay. Because you start off with this sort of light sleep, and then you go into like deep, slow wave sleep where your brain is really going like one to four hertz. And then you go back up to light sleep and then REM sleep. And that takes about 90 minutes. And so what you don't want is you don't want to wake up from deep sleep, from slow wave sleep. Mm, okay. Because if you do, you're going to feel like poo-poo. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. I don't know if I'm going to have this so I'll go with poo-poo. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fair game here. <laughs> So if you wake up from deep sleep, you have a lot of like sleep inertia and you just feel groggy and you're probably not going to be in a good, a good place for you or the people around you. 
but you know, 23 minutes, 20 minutes, great. It's a quick little power nap. But if you've just worked a 24 hour shift, you haven't really slept and now you're back at home, you know, what do you do? Well, now you want to try to get a little bit more sleep. So, but you want to time, now this is where you want to time it. So what you were saying, like 90 minutes, or if you really need it, three hours. Okay. Because you, if you want to be able to go fully through light sleep, deep sleep, light sleep, and then back into REM. Okay. Because when you, when you wake up naturally, you, you wake up from REM sleep. Because it's nice. You're, during rapid eye movement sleep, your, your brain kind of thinks it's awake. It's hallucinating anyway. It's really gentle to transition from REM yeah. to wakefulness. And, and you're, you're like, oh, I think I'm awake. Oh, now I'm awake. As opposed to like, oh my gosh, I'm almost in a coma. And then you yeah, try right. to wake up. <laughs> yeah, that like mid-dream and you wake up, you know, kind of suddenly. Yeah, yeah. So REM sleep is sort of the natural sleep. It's the natural stage from which we wake up. Yeah. Okay, now that's a great clarification. Um, you just reminded me of something. Uh, for those of us that either like don't have the time or have issues napping, um, something I feel like it's also gaining traction. There's more awareness around it is that, uh, like NSDR, the non-sleep deep relaxation, it's not, if, could you clarify that for us? It's not quite a nap. It's kind of like yoga. It's basically like, you're just going to check out for a little bit. You're going to truly relax. You're, you're kind of, you're almost performing like you are napping. You just may not actually fall asleep. Is there a formal process yeah. to it? I don't know. That's that was a question. Two of my good friends do to I rest, and and they're really um, interested in it. And I, I haven't been able to find like the empirical literature about the um, that that relates to EEG, like what's happening in the brain waves. Yeah. Okay. To that kind of deep relaxation, but we are actually working together now. Um, there, one of them has. I have these small EEG headbands. And she's she's using that with um, her IRS. So we're gonna find out oh, because my question is what what is the brain wave when you're in that state? And is it like like REM sleep? Is it like theta waves, or is it deeper than that? And so I think we need to to get that objective data first, okay. <laughs> and then we'll know. But I, I've done it, you know, a few times now, and I, there's something there. I, I that would just be my subjective experience, but I think we we should have it hopefully. Hopefully, pretty soon we'll have those data, and it's going to show us um, like what the actual brain state is. I don't have any of them because usually in the lab, like we have one of these. That, oh, I have them. So usually, the reason why we don't have these data. So I do a lot of like EEG research. So normally, if you want to record brain waves from somebody, you have to put this bad boy on their head. So it's huge. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's really complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Every one of these little spots you have to like work with and, and make sure it's connected to the scalp. And there's all kinds of wires and there's software that makes you feel like you can launch a rocket. <laughs> so that's really the reason why we don't have a lot of data, but we we're using these headbands and working with another friend who uh, has a company that does these like single channel. So we can just put these on people's head um, and we're able to record just the frontal lobe, what, what brain state they're in. Okay. So we're getting, we'll be getting those data. So stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. It's, it's neat that the, you know, obviously things are still growing, still coming. The one for those that can't see her, like looks like almost a helmet with all kinds of electrodes. The other one's almost like a heart rate monitor for the front of your forehead. Exactly. It just has two little sensors, a ground and an EEG sensor goes right on your frontal lobe. Yeah. And then we just have a couple references that go behind your ear. So super simple. Yeah. Okay. Very neat. Very no good. rocket launching. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, oh, what was I going to say? The, um, oh, for dreams. So dream state. Um, 
uh, uh, kind of going into like common things you hear or miss or red, even red flags. You know, I've always heard like, if you're dreaming, that's a good thing. But you also hear like, well, some people have never dreamed. I've heard in the fire service for people that are busy houses, they have trouble dreaming. They go somewhere slower then they start dreaming again. They start sleeping better. Is there anything to actual like dream states? Yeah, there's a, not only is there a lot, but it's, it's, it's a kind of a cool area right now. Um, so when you sleep, you, you probably dream all night long. Uh, but when you're in REM sleep, that rapid eye movement sleep, that's the stage of sleep that we associate with those vivid kind of story-like dreams as opposed to sort of thoughts and ideas. Okay. So when you wake up and you, you remember some story or some vivid dream, that's most likely a REM sleep dream. And um, when we do this, these dreams tend to be, tend to have sort of an emotional aspect to them, right? We Sometimes we dream that we're being chased. We dream about things that may be threatening to us. And it's a way, it's a stage of sleep where your brain allows itself, we spend 90 minutes a night, right? And we go up and down these stages and 90 minutes of that is spent in REM sleep. So if, again, if we didn't need it, <laughs> we wouldn't spend 90 minutes of our day doing this thing <laughs> you know and when you're in REM sleep you're, you're also paralyzed that's really dangerous are your primitive human conditions and it seems like one of the major roles when major roles of sleep in general is sort of you know sleep dependent memory consolidation so a lot of times when we're asleep we're just consolidating ideas and thoughts and memories from the day and in REM sleep it's, it's a time that's really reserved especially for emotion processing so kind of processing those emotions that we experience during the day preparing us to deal with emotions that we're going to contend with the next day. And it's also a time where your brain can disconnect a little bit from reality. So we, we can have these emotional dreams that don't necessarily need to match up with what we've really experienced. But the cool thing that REM sleep does is it, it kind of detaches the, 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 the vivid, strong feeling. So we can have the experience sort of detached a little bit from the, from the true fear and anxiety that we would have. So it lets us kind of play out the story separated a little bit from the emotional arousal that we would normally have because you know epinephrine's low during the state of sleep and by doing that combined with some other fun thing that happens <laughs> which we probably all realize also during one sleep your brain's able to do something it can't really do during the day which is to search out disconnected meanings right so things that necessarily don't associate during the day and just sort of try out different things like pigeon Railroad. Let me see. Do these go? How do we go? These <laughs> sort of disconnected ideas and properties, and it can kind of go through and try to connect them in, in new ways. It's probably related to why a lot of people, you know, feel inspired or they they get ideas right when they're in REM sleep because we're, we're able to sort of try to associate otherwise disassociated thoughts and processes. So when you when we take the sleep away from people, we do see issues with things like depression and anxiety. And on the reverse side of that, we do see dreaming sleep as, as particularly affected in people who have daytime emotion dysfunction. Um, so people who are suffering from like PTSD, you know, we know that their dreams are particularly um, difficult to contend with. And we also know that they, they don't have that dissociation where they don't feel the emotion. The, the dreams tend to be very realistic. They tend to be quite like what actually happened, which isn't what normal dreams are. Um, that you know the, the actual event that was traumatic is replayed in the brain, and it's and it is associated with the same emotional feeling that we have during wake. So we see this wow. this this part of sleep being really important for some emotion processing in particular. Yeah, sure, and I'm assuming that's where that cogn uh, 
cognitive behavioral therapy comes into play to disassociate the two and kind of break them apart in a healthy way. Is that correct? With, with, yeah, sleep in general, CBTI can really help, mostly help you transition from wakefulness to sleep. Um, with, with PTSD in particular, there's lots of different forms of therapy that you can, you would definitely want to work with a therapist, but what we see for them is that there is a relationship between the, the dreaming state, how negative the dreaming state is, or um, how difficult it is to experience that in the sort of the daytime emotion um, issues that they're having. Okay, yeah, being the root cause. Yeah, I'm glad you yeah. spoke on that. That's really neat. I was, as soon as you mentioned some of the dream states, that it kind of tipped me off. Um, yeah. So I know we're kind of coming up on uh, some, our time here, just closing out for the last couple of things. Um, is there anything in the sleep science world that you hear out there from say my world? Like, are there <laughs> myths or red flags that you see or hear that you're like, could we please like shut these down? Is there anything like that? that you I, just... everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think with any, <laughs> there's so many, I think a lot of people think that you can get sleep like two hours here, three hours there, four hours there. And you know, that's not true. Like it really needs to be <laughs> consolidated. Yeah. You can not like it all you want. It doesn't make it not true. <laughs> I don't like the fact that I have to eat vegetables, <laughs> but I do, right? <laughs> so you, you should really um, recognize that it, it, that's, that's, again, not negotiable. You, you need eight hours to sleep. And on average, right, just like anything else, some people need a little bit more, some people need a little bit less. But yeah, on average, we'll say eight hours. And you can't really train yourself to sleep less than that. Uh, you yeah. you you can't think, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna train myself to be a person who only sleeps five hours a night, or I'm gonna train myself to be a person who wakes up at five a.m. and be in the five a.m. club. It doesn't it doesn't make sense because that's not how our brains work. Yeah. Time we wake up, and whether we tend to be a morning person or a night owl, that's sort of genetically determined. So you can blame your parents for that. <laughs> <laughs> but these these sort of clock genes, these genes that determine how much sleep we need, whether we like to stay up late at night, wake up early in the morning. Right now, there's not much you can do to train yourself out of that. You just accept and love love your sleep life for, for who it is. Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I think the research, and as you've said, is it's pretty abundantly clear that you got to just get in the hours and you got to have like that sleep hygiene and best practices like you shortchanging it, whether it's a, it's a conscious decision or it's because of the, our crazy shifts. Like it's, it, it's not going to treat us well down the road. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on the other side of that, I'd say there's tons of research too showing the opposite. Like sleep extension is even better for you. <laughs> People extend their sleep. They do, they do better. Right. How, how, what a novel idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, kind of closing out, I guess some, uh, resources. I know for me, one of the first like books on sleep I got was called the sleep solution by Chris Winter. And we, I kind of mentioned it to you when we spoke at the O2X, um, conference and you had mentioned another book or two. Is there for anybody that just wants to really, um, like have a condensed down version of like, here's a, something you can read to, you know, just educate yourself more on it. Like, are, is there a book or two or resources out there that you would recommend? Yeah, I think so. Well, there's one book I really like. Um, it's by Matt Walker. Cause he's a he's a sleep scientist, and he and um, he's pretty good, really good. I should say, communicating information. Um, so it's why we sleep. I think it's one of the best books out there on sleep, and it's it's, it's very readable. 
Okay, is he he does um some TED talks as well, I believe. Is that him? Um he's he has red hair and he's British. That is definitely him then. He sounds a lot smarter just because of the accent. That's totally him. Yeah. I could say the same thing like Matt and he'll say like, Oh, that's so smart. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's totally him. Um Yeah, no, he's got some fantastic TED Talks. So yeah, if you want to just type in Ted talk and Matt Walker, he'll come right up. He's got some great stuff out there. Um, yeah, and I think it's a skill. I think to be a scientist and be able to communicate information. So definitely, I would, I would probably look at that one. Yeah, That's okay. The one that comes to mind, anyway. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, any any closing thoughts? Anything that we missed that you think is um, like truly important as we as we kind of close this out? I don't think so. I, I think we talked about a lot. It, it, a lot of it, I think, with sleep is is sort of that what we had said is that mindset. Like we don't want to think about sleeping as laziness, and we really want to think about this as a, one of the most vital things that we can do for our overall health. And just like anything that we do for our health, if it's not working or you're having difficulty, there's plenty of experts out there: doctors, physicians, psychologists. You want to think about sleep the way you do your heart, the way you do your, your brain, the way you do like if your leg was broken. And if, and if you're having difficulty, definitely see if you can get it a little bit better with, with an expert. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, no, yeah, you closed that out really nicely. Is uh, If anybody did want to reach out to you, and if you could mention the uh, nonprofit again, because that, that's super cool. Oh, it's the Society for Sports Neuroscience. Okay, Society for Sports Neuroscience. Awesome. And then I know you do a lot of talks with uh, O2X, which is a pretty cool organization. Anything else that you're yeah. getting into? No, I just, <laughs> just teaching college classes <laughs> and doing a lot of research. Hey, that's awesome. That's you know, the life of a scientist, right? It's terrible. Teaching you do a lot of time. <laughs> hey, everyone. How cool is the information that Dr. Jamie Tartar just handed out to us about that mind-body connection and how sleep is truly, truly healing for everything that it is that we do. The sleep disruption, the sleep deprivation can wreak havoc for those of us in public safety. And you don't even have to be in public safety. This is fantastic information for GenPop, for anybody that may be encountering some issues. Uh, we know how many things it can affect downstream. So the research is, is, is abundantly clear. Uh, so again, many thanks to Dr. Jamie Tartar, uh, her work with athletic performance and brain health, that, that mind-body connection. Uh, she's just doing fantastic things. And if you wanted more information, again, her nonprofit is the Society for Sports Science excuse me, Sports Neuroscience. She's running that nonprofit, and it's dedicated to uh, just the interdisciplinary collaboration of exercise science and neuroscience. So I know they have a conference coming up uh, next year, so just be on the lookout. It's in sunny Florida. But many thanks to to Dr. Jamie. Appreciate everything that she did for us, and we'll see you all next time.